the Museum of South Texas History preserves and presents the borderline heritage of South Texas and Northeastern Mexico by telling the stories from the Rio Grande. Hello, I'm Pamela Morales de Hendricks, the communications officer for the Museum of South Texas History. Thanks so much for listening to Stories from the Rio Grande. In episode three of season three, we hear from former education officer Judy McClellan. So if you've been listening, we've been highlighting some interviews with former staff members. So Judy shares how she got her job at the museum, the changes that she made, and how she managed to produce the super awesome puppet shows that tell South Texas history. Very exciting. I did not know about how the puppets came to be at the museum, so hopefully y'all will enjoy it just as much as I did. Let's hear what she has to say. When you started working at the museum, what year was that? I know that I was there 10 years, but I left and came back. When my husband was ill, I left, and then Melody took my place, and then Melody left, and I came back to help organize and get ready for school tours, and then Maria was hired, and I left again. I think my begin the beginning of my time there, 2002 maybe, and then I was gone, because yeah, that must be it. I, I know how to tell. It was it was the year that they opened the River Frontier and the River Highway. The museum was closed when they hired me. So the year that they opened River Frontier and River Highway, Shan called me and said, I need your help. Magic word for a teacher. Somebody needs your help. She said, I need a presentation done for Region 1 teachers she was going to send Melissa Tiarina, and Melissa said she didn't think she could do that. So Shan called me and said, could you come and do this presentation for the museum at Region 1 to tell the teachers that we're opening a new River Frontier and River Highway? So what year did River Frontier and River Highway open? 2003. Okay. That's me, 2003. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> then I must have left in 2012 and come back in 2013 and then left again in 2013. When Shan called and said, I want you to do this presentation for Region 1, all I knew about was the old jail because that's all I had ever seen as a third grade teacher bringing my class was the old jail. So she said, oh, no, we've, we've added on. And she did a tour for me through River Frontier and River Highway. And I was amazed. I was just staggered. I said, I can't even believe that this is what the museum has turned into. It was like the most fantastic history lesson in the world. And I said, teachers will just be clamoring to get into this place. And she, she was thrilled, of course, that I felt that way. So when I did the presentation for Region 1, of course, it was a success because I just told them everything I had seen and how excited I was about River Frontier River Highway. 
I was there to start doing some of the wonderful projects that Lynn kept coming up with. She would come to my office and say, I have this person that wants to give the museum money as a grant, but it's an education grant and I don't know what we need. And of course, I had all of these wonderful ideas because when I had been a teacher, I had experienced a, a treasure trove in a trunk that had come from uh, San Antonio, I believe. The first project that, that I did as a grant, which is something I had never gotten to do before, was my traveling trunks. And I got to do three traveling trunks with the money we got from that grant. And then we got another grant and I got to do the history mystery and the I spy and finish making some more rubbing stations because they're there weren't as many as there are now. So I got to help design and finish out those with another grant. And then another grant that we got, we got to do the puppet shows. So I got to find a puppet person, a person to create puppets for us, Mary Ann. And I also had to find two skilled puppet show writers. Virginia Mann was one of those people and she was wonderful. And one of the best memories was when I first started working there, the archive was stuck in the classroom. And if you can imagine, the classroom was just piled high with all the archival stuff. And David Mikey was in there and so was Steve Lomas. Because I had so much stuff in my office and I was trying to find a place to store it and put it, I would go back into Southeast, back into what used to be other people's offices when that part of the building belonged to somebody else. And I would find things and I wouldn't know what to do with them. I would find papers or I would find pieces of what looked to me to be important books. And I would drag them out and I would bring them to David Mikey. And David Mikey would get so upset. He would say, where have you been? Where did you find this? And when I would tell him it was back in Southeast and in the far reaches of that storage area, he was like, what were you doing back there? And then he would begin telling me the story of whatever it is that I had unearthed. So David Mikey, the wonderful storyteller, was one of the most impressive things because <laughs> he was like a little hidden jewel back there in the back of the classroom behind a wall of documents. And you had to go around like a little maze to get to him. And then he, he would question me and then I would get to sit and listen to him. It was like a, another history lesson going on at that time too. Another wonderful thing was the beta students because I had never worked with high school students before. I was terrified that I would not be able to train these high school students to do a good job touring our children, our teachers and children through the uh, museum. So I was very, very worried until that first group of beta students met with me and I got to interview them because uh, they, they told me that uh, we wouldn't bring them in if they didn't go through an interview process. That was part of what South Texas High School wanted them to learn from was how to do an interview. So we had interview questions and we would talk to them about why they wanted to be at the museum because a couple of days a week they would get to leave campus and spend the morning with us 
and I shouldn't have worried. They were, they were so eager and so good about learning everything that I wanted them to and making the tours fun. And then I got to learn how to do contracts and scheduling for tours, which is something else. I was just like, you want me to do what? But Shan helped me so much with that. And Sandra and everybody ended up, Lynn was another good one that helped me. So I had all of these, and Lisa was another good helper. So they were all teaching me how to be a museum person. So I got to learn how to be a museum person. And then I got to teach the beta kids how to be museum docents. And that was something that I had never thought would be in my realm of understanding. Docents, learning about South Texas history, was another thing I never thought I would do. I'm, I was never much of a historian until I started at the museum. Of course, I taught history and I liked history and I lived in the Valley all of my life, but the museum is definitely inspirational and it would, it would make you want everybody to love history because it's such a fantastic way to learn about the history of South Texas. So yeah, that's definitely something that was new to me. As, as I started a new profession after teaching third grade for a long time. You mentioned that you were also teaching the beta students about giving tours and being museum people. Just to clarify, did did you start that beta program or that was already established when you got there? Because the museum had been closed, it had lost its traction. Yes, they had done it because uh, Rachel Brown, I think, was an education officer and so was uh, a gentleman that I met. I'm, I'm not Robert, I believe was his name. Robert had uh, trained betas, and I believe Rachel had trained betas. But what they would do was just get the betas on the days when they had a tour, and they didn't have a tour scheduled for every day. What I was trying to do was have make sure that I had children coming on the days when the betas were there. So if the betas came three days a week, I wanted to be sure I had tours there on the days they were there. If the betas just came two days a week, then I wanted to make sure that I scheduled the tours for those days. But the museum is usually closed on Mondays. So on Mondays, if I had a call from a school that was having a career day, I could do a career day on a Monday, or I could go uh, do an outreach of some kind. In fact, one of our grants was for doing an outreach puppet show at schools that were the smallest schools in our area, like San Perlita and some of the other schools that are outlying schools. So I would have to go and get my puppeteers because they didn't drive. I would pick up the puppeteers. We would load up the puppet show. We would go to the school, perform the puppet show, and then drive back to drop the puppeteers off, put all the puppets away, and then offer that school a contract 
because we were offering all the schools a contract, but if the littler schools hadn't already scheduled to come to the museum, this was our way to get them interested in what the museum was doing. So that was, that was another thing that was very memorable. The Escamilla family, they were my puppeteers most of the time. Once in a while, I had to take some of the other docents as puppeteers. But if I could get the Escamillas to do it, it was mom, uh, son, and daughter, three, three people that did the puppets. And the puppet show we would do was the one with Lizzie, the car, and Chalmers, the tractor, which was about the river crossroads. So we would uh, teach them a little bit about history and, of course, about the museum so they would be interested in coming. And that did get us some more contracts. So that was another Monday job. Monday, when the museum is closed, we wouldn't usually have tours. I think they do now. But most of the time, we would try not to do tours on Monday. So we could either do puppet shows or we could do training or we could do uh, outreach for the career days and things like that. I mean, I'm always like, oh, we do so much at the museum. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's like, you know, we do so much now. What what did the people before us do? But you all did a lot of work. Wow, yeah, we did because there weren't as many people as there are now. The first summer nights was crazy because we didn't have so many people to help with it. And of course, I, I'm sure that if you've worked with Lynn, you know that she always has a vision. And she was like, and we need to put this there and we need another idea for here and let's be sure we put something here. So we were just running around grabbing things and putting things together to try and get all of the stuff that we needed for the uh, all of the different areas so that everybody would have something to do when they were in the river frontier and then when they were in the river highway and then when they were in the river crossroads. So it was lots of fun, but it was lots of busy, busy, busy time. I mean, running, running, running for sure. For sure. That first summer nights was, was quite trying, quite stressful. After that, it got a little easier because we knew a little bit more about what, what her vision was and we had other people to think of things all year long instead of trying to do it in a month so that was that was cool too wow I, I that. yeah yeah well I, I will say I mean those those two things well first you know the beta and, and summer nights but with the beta I mean that I feel like yes even though it had been established and then you sort of had to revive it I believe we no longer work with the beta students, but a lot of the beta students eventually, when they graduate from high school, they go to Pan Am or UTRGV, you know, they, they come back to the museum and, and they're still docents. And I, and I know that there are also a couple who, you know, went at Pan Am, now they're getting their doctorates. Um, you know, in other places and, and things like that. So I feel like the beta program was such a integral part of the museum. And I'm pretty sure it had a lot to do with you cultivating that relationship. It was a wonderful relationship. And the kids were so eager to learn. They really were. I, I remember some of them would have little note cards because they were so afraid they would forget something. But they would keep their note cards there and look at the cards as they were doing the tour with the classes with the children. They were just so smart. And most of them had done 
the year before, their junior year, they had been in the classroom. Some of them were in kindergarten classrooms, first grade, second grade, all the way up to junior high classrooms. So they had had an experience like being a paraprofessional or a student teacher. They were used to how teachers handled classrooms. And that was such good training for them because then when they got to be a docent, they were in charge of that school group and they had those teacher skills. They, they could handle the group very easily. Some of them not so easily, but most of them knew exactly how to get students' attention, how to move in and move out and, and keep their story going. So that was, that was wonderful. And if we had tours that canceled and the betas were there, we would use it as a training day. I had gotten some kind of a unit uh, teaching curriculum on storytelling. And so I would make them all go to the courtyard gallery and we would watch a film on how to do a storytelling event so that their stories would be more personal, but also about the history in, in the area. And I don't know if they even use those storytelling videos anymore, but they were very helpful for a long time. That, that was awesome that you were able to secure those those puppets. Where did that idea of getting those puppets come from? I feel like I haven't really heard this story. The, the puppet idea came, came from some puppets that had been there. Evidently, the Junior League at one time had done puppet shows at the museum when the museum was just the jail. And I found these old ragamuffin puppets in, in uh, when I was going through the back southeast part of the building. I found this container that had all of these puppets in it. And I was like, I don't know what these are for. What are these for? Well, nobody knew. Nobody could tell me what these puppets were. Finally, Lynn remembered the junior league girls coming in and they were like, puppets on safety or puppets on uh, how to be kind or puppets, you know, they were kind of like um, character lessons. And these uh, junior service league ladies would also come in and earn their volunteer hours by putting on these puppet shows for students or people that were in the museum. Well, the, I finally found somebody from the Junior League that would take their puppets back. So I returned the ragamuffin puppets to the Junior League. But Lynn and I started talking about how much the kids had enjoyed the puppets. And, I, and we had just opened River Frontier, River Highway. And I think the first show that we did was actually River Crossroads because it had just opened. It was just brand new opening and we had just gotten the grant money. So I was like, if I can find a puppeteer that can make puppets for us that are, that are our characters, maybe we could find somebody to write a story about the river crossroads and do it as a puppet show to kind of introduce younger kids to the uh, museum river crossroads. So that's how it got started. We got a grant. The Tijerina Foundation, I think, is where we got that grant, and it was a lot of money. 
So I started checking online for, for people who created puppets. And I found this lady named Mary Ann. And I think she was in South Carolina or somewhere on the East Coast. And I called her. And I said, you're not going to believe this, but I need a puppet that looks like a Model T. And I need a puppet that looks like a tractor. And I need a puppet that looks like a train. And she was like, yeah, I can do that. And I was like, you're kidding. And she said, no, I make puppets for uh, ventriloquists, for professional people. She said, uh, and, and on her website, I had seen some of these fantastic puppets that she had made, or I wouldn't have even called her. So she was like, well, they're, they're pretty pricey. And so we sent her pictures of what we had in River Crossroads, and she sent us kind of little mock-ups of what the puppet would look like, and we were just blown away. We were just like, this is going to be so fantastic. So then we needed to find a script writer. And at that time, Virginia Mann had, had uh, retired from being a principal. I think she was a principal or a curriculum or something at that time. She wasn't in the classroom anymore. So I contacted her and uh, she said, yes, she would be interested. And she had written some other things that we had seen before. So uh, she wrote us a script with these characters in it and it was so good. And we got the puppets and we got the characters and then we had to find voices. And that was, that was kind of tricky because we wanted somebody who could speak clearly and say the lines without making the puppeteers, because these puppets were pretty good sized. And if you're holding a puppet, trying to make its mouth move, and also trying to remember the lines, it gets a little difficult. So we figured that if we pre-recorded the script and all the puppeteers had to do was actually hold the puppets and move the mouths and you know do the action, that it would be a little bit easier for them. So we, <laughs> we um, pre-recorded it, found some people that we thought whose voices were good and uh, turned out really well, I thought. But um, we found the Escamilla family through uh, Mary, Rosemary, no, Mary Ann, I believe, was uh, Escamilla was a teacher at Pan Am that had heard a presentation I had done. And after the presentation, she came up to me and she said, I have a... Uh, nephew that is homeschooled, but he would be a wonderful puppeteer. So that was Jake Escamilla. And I said, well, have him come over and uh, I'll show him what the puppets look like and we'll see if he's interested. Well, when Jake came, he brought his little sister and his mom with him and they all wanted to be puppeteers. All three of them wanted to be puppeteers. And so I was like, okay, well, listen to the script listen to the recording because your hands are going to have to move with what these puppets say. They not only listened to it, they memorized it. All of them knew the lines by heart. Wow. So I, I, I could, the first time I saw them doing this and they were saying the lines to themselves while their puppet was saying the lines, I was like, you didn't need to memorize it. And they're like, oh, it's okay. We just listened to it a bunch of times <laughs> until we knew the whole thing. But these were above average people. I mean, most people wouldn't remember an entire puppet show by memory, but they did. And they loved doing the puppet show and they would come and they would just be so energetic and so happy to be there. 
that it was just a privilege to watch them do these puppet shows. And of course, when they couldn't, we had to have other puppeteers that could also move the mouths of the puppets while the puppets were saying their lines that were pre-recorded on tape for us. And the puppet show was just gonna be the one, but it was so good, it was so much fun that we were like, no, we gotta do one for River Frontier and River Highway too. We just gotta do all three of them because we had money left. So we got Marianne to make us puppets for all of them. And then we got uh, script writers. Virginia Mann, I think, ended up writing all three scripts. So the puppet shows were a big deal. They really were for quite a few years. Well, and we based the summer nights on them. For the first couple of summer nights, those puppet shows were the impetus for finding the characters in the, the museum. And the kids would collect stickers and then be in a drawing to get a prize at the end of the night. So that was fun, too. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of information there that you probably didn't need. No, no, this is good. <laughs> I mean, it, it's important for people, especially myself, who works at the museum and those who are listening, you know, the the rich history of the museum and how it all came together. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, like I mentioned, we haven't really... We used to do puppet shows like first Saturday of the month. Um, And then probably about 2017, we stopped doing the puppet shows every Saturday during free Saturday morning, I think. Or no, maybe it was after. Yeah. Yeah. And then we started getting some feedback about puppet shows not being toddler friendly, which is the puppet shows, I think what I understood they're like fourth grade level yes third and fourth grade is who we were aiming at third and fourth yeah and some of the parents in 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 this well I mean I don't know if they were parents but in the surveys they were saying that they wanted the puppet shows to be more toddler friendly so yeah so I mean we still use the puppets just in a different setting I I guess I'm just still amazed by how you know the puppets you have the steamboat and the t- Model T Ford, but also, like, who came up with Jose Escandon? Like, I'm still like, <laughs> what? Like, what? And- yes, yes. Well, because that was how uh, Virginia wrote the script. She had an Escandon character talking in the script. And so we were like, okay, we're going to need to send pictures of Jose Escondon and see if she can come up with this. I took him, uh, Shan and I went to a city meeting more than once, but one time she asked me to bring Jose Escondon, so I put him on my arm like I was a ventriloquist, which I am not, but people were looking at him instead of us, and we were there to invite everybody at the city meeting, of course, to visit the museum and see the puppet shows. But it was amazing. Some of the people asked if it was George Washington, and we were like, no, 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 this is Escondon. And uh, it was so much fun. I was like, this is what the puppeteers feel like when they're walking around with these puppets on. Because it's the people that were at the city council meeting saw me holding this puppet, yet they wouldn't look at me. They were looking at the puppet for the information about coming to the museum to see the puppet shows. And I mean, I don't talk like Jose Escondo, <laughs> but they were listening to my voice like it was coming from him because his mouth was moving. 
So I found that hilarious. Yeah. And, and one of our favorites was the horse. That's the oh. one where I was like, really? We're going to have a horse puppet? But hey, she works. Yeah. At Amosa, yes. our little Amosa. So it, it turned out very well. But we didn't pick the characters. Virginia, when she was writing the script, she picked the characters. And then we had to get the puppets to go with the characters. Wow, that's that is yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it wasn't just like picking picking a puppet out of a book. These puppets were made and they were expensive, especially for the stories at the museum. And I had to send them back one time just to have them cleaned. And I think that was Lizzie and Chalmers and the train, whatever his name was. I, I had to send them all back to wherever this lady made them. And she cleaned them up and put them back in in good shape so that they wouldn't be so so uh, wrinkled up and crinkled up because those are the ones that travel to all of the schools. They're the ones that we would take out on Mondays when we visited schools to do puppet shows for their third graders. So the puppet shows were aimed at the third graders so that the teachers could schedule the fourth graders to come to the museum the next year. Oh, that's smart. That was our ploy. Get them when they're in third grade or second grade. Some schools had every child in the school come and see the puppet show. But what we asked for was the third graders. We asked that we could come and show our puppet show to the third graders. But some elementary schools would fill the cafeteria with children. It was like, oh, my goodness, what are all these kids doing here? And that's... uh, one of the reasons we uh, quit giving out the little books. See, we have little booklets to go with the museum uh, puppet show, and we would pass out books to everybody that was at the puppet show. But that turned, and you may still have some of those little coloring books. The, the yeah, the, the yellow one, right? It's yellow and and it has yes. like coloring, yeah, coloring pages. Yes. 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 Yeah. Those used to be a handout with uh, our puppet show. So I don't know if those got used up or if they're still using them, but those those were part of the grant. We had to have a takeaway for them, and that was part of the grant money that we spent on that. I I think there's still some left. Yeah, yeah, there's still some left. Wow, I had yeah, no to, idea. Yeah, we had to find a company that would do those for us too. <laughs> So it was like, yikes, we sent them photographs and they turned the photographs into coloring pictures. That was amazing to me too. I didn't know that anybody could do that. So another learning experience was like, whoa, you can do. In fact, the little soldier that's standing beside the steamboat was a picture of Marshall, Shan's son, standing there one of our summer nights and they turned him him into a coloring book page. What would you say, 50 years, the museum, we're celebrating 50 years. What's, I guess, do you have a vision for the future of the museum? What do you want people to know about the museum? I love the river frontier. I love the river highway. I love the river crossroads. My favorite part is still the old jail. There's just something about saving that old building that really, that really 
touches my heart. And, and I know part of it is because that's what my third graders saw when we came to the museum on a field trip. We didn't, we didn't see the rest because it hadn't been built yet. We saw the old jail and the stories about the old jail and the history that the old jail has been there for so long. And you know, once, once you go to the East Coast, because I went to Boston this summer and everything there is ancient, ancient, but Edinburgh doesn't have old things. Edinburgh tears things down and builds new things. So to have a building that's over a hundred years old, that has a history, that is our history, that is, and it's not a happy history. I have to say that that part kind of is, is sad to me, is that we have this building that has a history that is a history of, of lawbreakers, but we have that history. And, and if that's all we've got, then we need to, we need to preserve it. And we need to uh, take care of it. And we, and I think that that's what the 50 years of saving this old falling apart building has done. Is it's it's it it's been too much money and too much time, but it's it saved it. We found a way to save it, and and that's important. We need to save our history because our history has lessons for us even if the lessons are, don't do it that way again. You know, do something better. When you know better, you do better, is what one of my docents, Ann, used to say to the kids. When you know better, you do better. So maybe that's what the jail tells us, and maybe that's what the 50 years at the museum tells us, is have we learned it? Do we know how to do better? Now let's do better in our lives and in our, in our future. Let's do it right. Let's don't make the same mistakes again and again. So that would be my message for 50 years. Have you learned to do better? Okay, let's do better. What do you think? Is that okay? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're obviously going to look at another 50 years. And, you know, we've had a lot of changes at the museum as far as, uh, as, far as personnel is concerned. And, you know, the the mission preserve and present definitely is still going to be part of the museum because like you said, we need to preserve, preserve our history and, and present it, like you said, in a way that is going to teach other people. Don't do that. Or do that. You know, in other cases, maybe it's yes, that worked. Let's do it again. But in some cases, no, that didn't work. It wasn't a good thing. Let's don't repeat that mistake. You have to learn from your mistakes as well as your successes. So we don't want to make the same mistakes again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Judy, for participating in the podcast and telling your stories and your memories. It sounds like you had so much fun. Yes, yes. You take care of yourself, please. Yes, you too. All right. Okay. Well, I'll talk I'll to you soon. Best. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode was produced by Most History Communications. Song is Carpe Diem by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons. Follow us on Anchor to hear more stories from the Rio Grande and send us your questions through the Anchor app. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Most History, Stories from the Rio Grande.